I feel just personally is my, my taste that when I see scenes played out in real time without cuts, it really gets you connected to the characters even more. Right. People talk about empathy. They use that, throw that word around a lot, but I think it comes from just being able to see somebody in real time, just be, be human. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In today's episode, a washed-up porn star returns to his small Texas hometown in director Sean Baker's comedic drama, Red Rocket. The film follows Mikey, who after failing in his adult film career, comes home to a town that doesn't want him back and clashes with his estranged wife and her family. In addition to Red Rocket, Mr. Baker's other directorial credits include the feature films The Florida Project, Tangerine, Takeout, and Four Letter Words, and episodes of the television series Warn the Ape and Greg the Bunny. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Baker shares insight into the making of Red Rocket with fellow director Lizzie Borden. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. It is such a pleasure to talk to Sean Baker. I have been a fan of his work for so long. And it's such a pleasure to see his new film. I must admit, this is the third time I've seen it. And it's, it's, I saw it on a small screen, my computer. So great to see it on a big screen with an audience. So, Sean. Well, thank you. And Lizzie, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I mean, your, your work is what, you know, has inspired me so greatly. And this is just such an honor. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And I, I'm really, I'm going through major like starstruck stuff, you know, stuff right now. So <laughs> that is so flattering and beautiful <laughs> and wonderful because, um, I've watched Sean's films several times each and in knowing I was going to, this is my first time I've met Sean and knowing I was going to do this, I've rewatched everything except I have to say that your first your that takeout and, um, Prince of Broadway. They're not available. No, the, my first three films, including Four Letter Words, was actually my my first feature, right. which I made. Yeah, it's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's not out there because they've <laughs> been the four the first three films have been restored and they're being released this year and next year. Who's um, releasing them? A nice them? prestigious label. I can't really. Oh, but okay. let's say <laughs> one that you've worked with. <laughs> okay, so you guys can figure that out. That's fantastic. Which I brought the Blu-ray. Of working girls, and you're going to have to sign it I will. after this. Okay, cool. Pleasure, but um, with- but yeah, just the, the, those first three films are being restored, so don't seek them out, please, until the new ones out there, because we did de- we did the deluxe restoration, like as much as you can do with films that have been shot on mini DV and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fantastic, and because I wanted to see four letter word because Sean has done this incredible quartet of sex industry films, and. What I realized was the first, the three before this were centered a lot around women in the sex industry. You know, Willem Dafoe was a key character in Florida Project, you know, and there were trans women. There were, there was, uh, Dre, uh, Hemingway in Starlet. And what I realized in this was that you have a guy and the first cisgender white, uh, lead, right? Except four letter four yes, letter words exactly, and maybe um, your TV project, your TV series, right? Uh, which was a puppet. 
a puppet, which is sort of an <laughs> asexual. Uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm sorry. But it was It's been a long few weeks, but uh, yeah, a puppet show. Yes. Greg the bunny. Yes. But what I wanted to ask you was, um, you've, you've made fun of pimps in your other films. Uh, there've always been, uh, kind of objects of ridicule and the women have always kind of topped them in a way. And here you have your lead character as a suitcase pimp. Um, do you, do you want to explain the difference to the audience? Oh, 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 okay. Well, I think they all know what pimps are, yeah. but um, a, a suitcase pimp is a, uh, well, it's a slang term applied to, uh, let's say, a certain archetype within the adult film world. It's a, it's a tiny little, <laughs> it's nice. a very, uh, yes, exactly. But it was um, an archetype that we discovered when doing research for Starlet. Right. Basically, male talent that lives off of female talent. Mm-hmm. Um, exploits them in every way just to, you know, to survive. So um, we met a handful of Mikey Sabres and realized that this was sort of a, uh, an archetype that I had not seen on the big screen before yeah. and really wanted to explore them as a, you know, yeah. character study, uh, fascinated by the psyche. And so, yeah, that's the difference. I think they would consider themselves pimps. I think pimps have been ridiculously glorified and romanticized yeah. in yeah. our society. They're the one you know, that I find them disgusting, you know, yeah. on every level. Um, but these guys definitely aspire to be like real pimps, but they are very low level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting to me that, um, that in this film, as, as absurd as, as um, Mikey is, that there's, he still gets his comeuppance from a kind of matriarchy within the film. Um, yes. And one of the things that's interesting to me as well is that, is that um, Strawberry is somebody who we feel has agency. And um, I wanted to talk to you a, a bit about how you work with uh, consultants from the world of, you know, in, in every different way. I mean, strippers are different than porn mm. actors. So you work with consultants from each of the separate Yeah, we had industries. four consultants on mm-hmm. this film from the adult film world and then a, a fifth consultant, a sex worker from outside the adult right. film world, just to get a full, just to get um, as much feedback as possible and on the way that we were approaching these characters. And um, yeah, it was really focused on the depiction of Strawberry and Lexi, how much we were telling about their backstories, what they wanted to see in these characters. Um, and they were invaluable. I mean, they really did add to what you just mentioned, the agency that Strawberry has. Uh, I had already already written in little things like her um, saying, yeah, we can shoot this scene, but let's use my phone, not yours. Yeah. Those little things they appreciated, but yeah. they, they even wanted more. Uh, when he's talking about where Zana Valentine is now, um, I think the original draft of the film, Zana Valentine is a reference to Starlet. It's when they're driving and um, talking about, it's, it's Lonnie and um, Mikey talking about his other girls in the past. And, uh, and we actually had, in the first draft, Zana had committed suicide. And they were like, you know, we had seen that. We've seen that so many times. Why depict a sex? Why can't we have a happy ending for a, right. a sex worker? And so we rewrote that. We said she went to Salt Lake City. She's married right. with kids. And of course, Mikey's like boring life, <laughs> you know. But um, but that came directly from them and their and their wonderful, you know, input. Well, that's very interesting because um, uh, the idea of agency, the idea of dialogue, which made her 
complicit in what she wanted to do or made her actually more proactive. And also uh, her barbs, um, well, also the barbs of, um, oh, June, you know, both of them Mm. from two different aspects, you know, basically asking Mikey why he is the one winning the prizes (laughs) when it's the women doing all the work are very telling. So it feels to me as His reaction to both, (laughs) uh, different reactions to both is telling, yeah. Yeah, we, oh, totally. Um, that in some ways you're very much on the women's side, you know, as much as you are very magnanimous toward, um, toward Mikey. But also it feels like, and you've said this before, that you couldn't really have done it without the very specific casting. Um, That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, they, my actors, my cast, which I absolutely adore, this is like, I, there wasn't a weak link here with mm-hmm. my cast. They are and they they had uh, thanks yeah thank you i i'm so blessed to have worked with them um each ha- my first my I mean, i'll just quickly give you an overview cuz i like talking about them <laughs> my my three leads are essentially the seasoned actors the experienced actors you know simon lexi i mean simon brie elrod who plays lexi and susanna sun who plays strawberry even though this is susanna sun's first film she was here in hollywood pursuing uh, a career in acting and had taken acting uh, classes in college. So those I consider the experienced ones. Everybody else in the film, first timers, essentially from that area who we just met through serendipity and happy accidents and and chance and uh, they shined. And they have all levels, different levels of comfort and different levels of skill, uh, but they all just put their heart into this. And what was great about like, for example, Brittany Rodriguez, to be able to, ask her because she's, that's her stomping grounds. You know, this is, is it, and, and, and I'm not from there. And so to be able to ask her, um, what do you think of this dialogue? You know, um, what are we, are we nailing the authenticity, the local color? And sometimes she would say yes. And sometimes she would say, hell no, <laughs> you know, I, uh, let's go this way and bring really, you know, wonderful lines to the table. Yeah. Um, and, and just helping us really get grounded and telling us what was authentic and what wasn't. Yeah. And oh, uh, yeah. one more thing. If they were great, which they all were, I was starting to flesh their characters right. out based on their performances that they were giving me. So, you know, Lexi's character actually, you know, even though I thought I, a lot of it was on page, I, I was during production writing new scenes the night before right. just to like give her more screen time to allow this character be fleshed out more. Well, she was very moving and her reactions to things and her silence sometimes and her, it, her reactions to things, uh, her, even her wanting sex and then, um, not pretending she didn't want sex. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting is she and Mikey have sex like porn stars. That's true. And whereas with strawberry, there's a romantic point when they're kissing, which felt like, wow, they're kissing. Mm. This is very, and then he immediately turns it to his advantage, which is let's do a a porn scene. So he's like comfortable in that world of, you know, behaving as if there's a camera, you know, it's like he can't behave. He can't really function in the whole, (laughs) boy, girl, male, female world. That's interesting. We also did want to show, though, that youth at this time has probably been exposed to pornography in some way or another, easily exposed to pornography. So we actually did lean into perhaps Strawberry doing things like such like 
I'm sorry to get graphic, but you know, showing him that she, right, what her mouth, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that probably came directly from her mm-hmm. seeing that this is a thing in pornography and appreciated mm-hmm. by men, and you know what mm-hmm. I mean. So showing off her knowledge of his his line of work in a way, we were also leaning into that a bit. Well, that really shows like when she's, sorry to be graphic, when she's giving him the blowjob for the first time, it's like, oh yeah, I've seen them do this. You know, it's all over social media. You don't even have to go to Pornhub to see that. Um, But I wanted to go to another question, which is collaboration, you know, and you've collaborated with um, your, you know, co-writer on everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you've collaborated with Samantha on, you know, working with actors and, but you've worked with different DPs on, um, well, you worked with Radium. Radium Chung on the first uh, two. Starlet. And, and yep. Drew Daniels did an amazing job. Um, and I watched Waves just because, you know, I've been tracking <laughs> all, of, all of Sean's sources for this, you know, in preparation. Beautiful film, you know. But yes, tell definitely. me about your choice of DPs and how you go about it. Yeah, I, I again, I've just been blessed to to have like all these incredibly talent DPs around me. I um, Alexis Zabe was supposed to have shot this film. He mm-hmm. shot Florida Project, right. and because of COVID and having a newborn, he decided to sit this one out. I said, "It's okay. Uh-huh. I love working with you. We're going to work <laughs> together in the future." Uh, but there's this guy Drew Daniels who I heard about through Trey Schultz's films, and he's actually lived in Texas for, for a part of his right. life, so we'll have that Texas Texan lens. So. I um I got on the phone with him and we bonded in minutes and we were talking about shooting Anamorphic 16 which is a rarity if I think and I might be wrong but we're might be the few, one of the few films features uh shot purely on 16 anamorphic not 35 millimeter anamorphic lenses put on 16 and cropped this is these were real 16 millimeter anamorphic lenses that we haven't been able to find another feature shot on, uh, on them with. So, um, so Drew, uh, I was showing him a lot of like early seventies, um, Italian sex comedies and, uh, because I've been obsessed with those as of late for both craft and their approach to this sort of subject matter. But then, and he looked at me like, is this the film we're making? Like, what are we doing here? And, um, and, but he did understand why I showed them, uh, why I showed him those films. But then, and I'm talking about films like by, um, um, Dino Risi and Fernando DeLeo. Um, yeah, seek them out. They're great. But anyway, um, then he was like, but you know, Sugarland Express was shot outside the Houston area by Vilmo Zygmunt. Let's take a look at that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it for 30 years. I forgot how much I love it and how, how great it is. And it actually might be one of my my, it's hard to say your favorite Spielberg because they're all so great, but, but, um, one that I would return to often because I just love, um, you know, Goldie in that film and, uh, the way it looks. And, um, we studied that and I think you can actually see a lot of our nods yeah. towards Sugarland in, yeah. in the film, the lateral driving shots, the very controlled framing, uh, swift camera moves. Uh, so those, so we were just now I feel I have like three amazing DPs who I love to work with, who I can pick and choose from in the future. And, um, yeah, so. I wanted to ask you about, um, the, uh, you've talked a lot about your rehearsal process with actors, but I wanted to know about how you rehearse with your DP because, and also because you shoot on film, which is valuable, which I know Sean used that to control 
control to help his young actors focus in the Florida project with this, <laughs> we're shooting money, you know, it's something like that. But for example, in a ki- the kitchen scene where there's a whip pan back and forth, I mean, how much did you rehearse that with Drew? Or did, and did you shoot your first takes? Did you shoot rehearsal? Did you rehearse and then shoot? How if those are, if they're controlled, if there are set pieces that look controlled, yeah, we were rehearsing, yeah. we were rehearsing camera, camera moves and everything like that. Um, we were also really racing against time. I mean, this was, and, and, and Drew is so fast with 16. He's yeah. faster on 16 than most, most DPs are on digital. I mean, it was really, he was often waiting on me. Yeah. It'd be funny because I would be like, oh, well, how, how close till camera's ready? And he'd be like, I'm, re- I'm waiting on you, dude. I'm waiting on you. So um, he, um, yeah, those were very, uh, those were rehearsed. And then also, you know, to a certain extent, almost all of the performances were rehearsed. I mean, I never went blindly into anything. Right. And, and my wonderful producer, Samantha Kwan, who's in the audience, she's also my wife. <laughs> she uh, began coaching the, the non-professionals on, on uh, I hate that. I'm so sorry. I, that slips all the time. First timers, first timers. Yeah. I can't say non-professionals <laughs> because sometimes the industry hears a non, non-professional, I think unprofessional yeah. and it's been hurting uh, my first timers. So uh, first timers. Um, so Sam, Samantha worked with the two children on Florida project, then took on the two moms mm-hmm. because I had my hands full and I realized what a great working relationship right. it was because Samantha is able to really like, uh, you know, really, um, remove the discomfort and get them to a place where they feel safe and, Samantha is very maternal. And so they have somebody to turn to and, and, and just, if they're ever feeling like they don't know what is happening and, you know, mm-hmm. Sam can fill them in and plus they can go off and do rehearsals and then I can come in and I can watch where they are and give notes. And, uh, but again, I've been blessed by just finding a lot of like incredibly talented people who not only have, and I encourage improvisation. Mm -hmm. And so there's that whole thing about making them comfortable enough to, to just try anything and not being afraid of failing, even though I would never do that. I would never put myself in front of the camera, but they, 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 um, I've been lucky where they have not only the gift of improvisation, but the gift of comedic improvisation, which I can, I consider a genius. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and everybody's an individual, like everybody's right. different in terms of how much attention they need or, or, or don't need. And, and, and the one, the two people that I would like to call out because I know there are directors in the room and, and there's industry in the room, Brittany Rodriguez, who plays June and Ethan Darbone, Darbone, who plays uh, Lonnie, they're ready to go. They're first timers, but I can see them on a Hollywood set tomorrow. Their professionalism, the way they understand, understood stuff by their second take of like re- repetition of action yeah. to help. Uh, uh, the editor, uh, just watching Simon and Brie for, for just, just to learn. And Brittany Rodriguez became our PA on the last week after I had already directed her and she gave me this incredible performance. It was a very weird thing actually, but she wanted it. She wanted to be a PA because she wanted to learn. And so they're ready to go. So just putting she's it out fantastic. There. <laughs> you know, I think I saw her in a panel, yeah. a panel in Cannes, yeah. and she was just a totally different look. You know, oh, glam, yeah. totally yeah. glammed up. And um, but going back to your way of working with a crew, um, I think you said something after the Florida, Florida project is people had to get used to your method, which is that you would wander off 
and they'd have to follow you. Um, Did I say that? Yeah, you said that. <laughs> but was that because you had a bigger crew there? Were you working smaller and more yeah, guerrilla and style? Florida was four times bigger than this film. Okay. And it shouldn't have been, but it was. Um, it was kind of inflated with the budget for no reason, but uh, what a, you know, for stupid reasons. But so with COVID, I could only get a million, 1.1. 1. 1. Yeah. And so I had to pare down and we had a crew of 10 and just all these limitations imposed upon us. But to tell you the truth, I had a better, funner, more fun time working on this film right. than Florida. Um, and Florida is tiny compared to what I'm sure most of you have worked on. You know, Florida was a tiny, it was a 40 person crew. This was a 10 person crew, but even 40, there were things that I just could not do the way I wanted to do. And, and, and you know, that, that's a whole other discussion, but, um, but yeah, where were we going with that question? Well, it doesn't really matter. I have so many questions. Another question I have is your color scheme because, you know, uh, a tangerine orange, um, you know, the Orlando is, you know, this colors, you know, the yeah. colors you use here. Um, I did read, but I really saw here on a big screen, the red and blue that you use in um, art direction and production design. Yeah. Um, was that tied in politically? My sister is the production designer on the film. Her name oh, is yay. Stefanik. Yep. <laughs> I've, uh, she worked on, she did Florida and this one. Um, she, yeah, we talked obviously about the use, pr primary use of red and blue, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, but then shades of that and then breaking away from the the red and blue hues when we were getting into Strawberry's colorful world, right. which was more of a fantasy neutral world right. that wasn't just based in our, you know, politicized reality. So, so uh, yeah. And she has an incredible eye and bonded and worked very closely with Drew um, to, you know, every, every shot was, was pretty calculated with yeah. where we were going to drop certain colors. And, uh, and then also, you know, be, being in independent production and not being able to, and, and not that I would want this, but I would never build sets. I like shooting on location, yeah. um, real locations that we find. And you can find incredible locations out there. Yeah. And so, for example, Donut Hole, um, that's a real place. Um, my sister, of course, you know, just, let's say, elevated it or, right. or uh, made it slightly elevated above reality, right. you know, like by cleaning cleaning it up, obviously, just removing anything, cords, anything that just made it not almost perfect um, and less messy and less, uh, yeah. So so we're also working with these incredibly, uh, we, we seek out very unique, colorful locations. Yeah. And they, you know, they're there. They, you know, well, they every community a has them. <laughs> yeah. A character in a, themselves. Yeah. But um, sort of jumping back to techni technique uh, is that, what I find so impressive about your work is that you edit it yourself. So very often I'm watching, you know, the first cut, the last cut, the way it flows, and then also times where you're doing basically time, jumps in time. You know, um, because you're editing it yourself, are you um, thinking about that as you're writing? And then later on, as you're working on your edit, um, do you wait until everything is shot before you? Yeah. Well, in this case also we had dailies, but they were coming four days late and they were right. a link and I wasn't going to look at them. So I would just ask my producers and DP if everything looks okay. Right. And, um, but no, I have to, yeah, being an editor, I have to keep my editing hat on almost all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And there are certain beats and cuts that we're writing into the script. Um, and then you're figuring it out more being on the set, 
you know, um, I also have to say that one of my producers, Shi Qingzhou, who I co-directed Takeout right. with, she's continuity on this film. So she helped me out a lot. Yeah. yeah that's the type of m- movie we had. Like the producers were wearing five hats. So <laughs> Shi Qingzhou was not only acting in the movie, she's yeah. in Donut Hole. That's, she plays Miss <laughs> Fan. She's doing continuity <laughs> and costume design. And she was essentially like driving Simon around as well. So, you know, that's the type of movie we made. But, um, but yeah, but Chi Ching has my back. Uh, I always have, and, and Drew as well. Do you think we're covered on this scene? And I, and I, you know, you try to over, I try to over cover if I have time, but then in the edit, try to make, try to, uh, unless the scene calls for it, as few edits as possible. Yeah. You know, it's because I also might my performers are giving such amazing performances that I want to hold on them. And I, and I think that it helps you to, when you're seeing something play out, especially like character study stuff where there's dialogue and, and interaction, I feel just personally, it's my, my, my taste that when I see scenes like that um, played out in real time without cuts, it, it helps with that suspension of disbelief. Right. It really gets you connected to the characters even more. Right. People talk about empathy. They use that, they throw that right. word around a lot, but I think it comes from just being able to see somebody in real time, just be, be human, you know, and, and it helps you connect. So the editing thing, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy because it drives me insane. I, I lose my mind every post-production but I have to do it because I don't, I think if I was a director for hire and I handed my footage over to like the studio, they would fire me by the second day. (laughs) What are you doing? So only I know how this stuff will eventually piece together. Although it's interesting. No, it's interesting because, um, well, I said I I wasn't going to talk about this, but your criterion uh, picks are kind of, some are very low budget, some are bigger. And then you did this thing where, I didn't even know what you were picking in some horror, horror movies. And I thought, thought, you're interested in genre too, which is so interesting because you've never, you've never done a genre film. No, I haven't, but I'm very influenced by them. And I I consider all my films, I mean, almost all films are genre films in a way, but um, yeah, I, especially, I mean, lately, as I said earlier, you know, the seventies Italian genre films, I, I really love their craft. I love their approach to subject matter and, um, they're very bold and very honest. And sometimes they'll take you on a roller coaster of a moral roller coaster as well. And an ethical one so, you know, and sometimes having the audience think different things, different times in the film, totally jumping all over the place. And I, and I really, um, I'm drawn to that stuff. Well, what's so interesting about that concept for me is that what so works in you've stylized certain things, but it's Simon Rex's like a naturalism in his performance that takes us in even when we hate him, you know, and it's interesting to me that the thing we really hate him for is betraying his friend, you know, like whatever he does to women, we kind of get because we think women are strong and they're going to do it we're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the group of women at the end who get together to give him his comeuppance, Mm -hmm. but his betrayal of his male neighbor Mm -hmm. is what makes us feel, oh my God, this guy's unredeemable. Yet we've gone with him through the whole movie because he's so real. Mm -hmm. You know, his nudity is so real. So you've worked with him in a way that he was comfortable, right? Well, oh, 100%. He is fantastic. Let's just say that to work with the guy, he, he, he understood his character very early on because I actually, well, I sent him the script and we talked about it, but I also gave him just a few things for his uh, uh, first self tape. I said, you know, you're in a, 
you're basically a man child. I don't think you've uh, mentally um, matured past 17 and, you know, uh, maybe one or two other little notes of direction before for his self tape. And he was like, I got it. I got it. It came back to us in 20 minutes when we sent out the sides to him. It was the initial scene in the uh, kitchen when he's explaining how he got to this predicament. And um, he nailed it. Like it was 90 something percent there. I knew that my direction would essentially be tweaks and, you know, minor notes. And um, so I offered it to it that I offered the role to him. Then he, he, he got to Texas in three days with most of those um, Mikey Saber rants memorized, which I was incredibly impressed with. It must, he must've been in his motel room at night reading, you know, memorizing everything. Um, and then the first rehearsal where I, I put him with uh, Brie and they were doing the um, coming to the door in the beginning of the film scene. And um, they just nailed it. I knew from that point on, they would be my anchors. Okay. Like I could rely on them for everything. Okay. And, and, and Simon was just a sweetheart to work with. Um, he, he made the first timers so comfortable, no diva quality. As I said, I mean, like he was driving himself to set sometimes. We were all eating pizza. It was one of those movies. So he he did not, it was so great to just to be able to bond with the guy. And now, you know, we're great friends and I, I want to work with him again. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend working with him. <laughs> well, and he was so natural in his nudity too. And it's unusual to see as much male nudity and full frontal nudity. That's actually very much stems from your approach. And like I did this on Starlet and I remember watching your film before Starlet because I wanted to know how to approach our sex scenes mm-hmm. in a very clinical way right. that taking the eroticism mm-hmm. out of it. And, uh, and it was, it became a mandate for us on Starlet that if we had female nudity, we we're going to equal it with, with male nudity. And so even if I'm making this film, which obviously has moments that leans heavily into the male gaze and importantly, I mean, for a reason, because I'm trying to get into his psyche, we still tried to balance it out in terms of just the, you know, on screen depiction of nudity. That really works. And we just got a sign that we have to wrap up. So I don't get to ask you all the questions, the political questions uh, about the well, red and blue in 2016 and all of that. But most of that's <laughs> to be left up for interpretation. Another anyway. time, another, another yeah. time. Yeah. But congratulations on making another extraordinary film. Oh, Sean thank you Baker. so much. Thank you. And I just want to thank A24 and thank you to the DGA. All right, cool. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 